0: Ray, do you think that what happens these days? Because we get reaction on this, right? We get people that email us, that post stuff on our YouTube channel. You guys believe in once saved, always saved? You know, this. Do you think that what it is is it's a, a caricature of a doctrine that is biblically rooted? Because I like I like the term eternal security. That's what I like to yes. use, and I think that's more of a theological and biblical term. But you, Mark, alluded to it earlier. You have a saying. It's not once saved, always saved.
1: It's if saved, always saved. If God has saved you, God will keep you. He's able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Explain that if, though. I've often said there's a dearth of understanding of true and false conversion. Once you understand that, then all the Scripture's about losing your salvation and don't look back and pig goes back to the wallowing in the mire. A dog goes back to its farm. All those are references to false converts, yeah. not genuine converts. So once you understand this true and false conversion, then Scripture makes sense. You don't have to run around saying, am I saved today? Am I unsaved tomorrow? If you've been saved, if God's begun a good work in you, he will complete it to that day. And that gives incredible assurance yeah. for the Christian.
0: I don't know if you call it delightfully surprised. Is it warm in here? It's hot. Because we're on fire, Mark Spence.
2: Does anything throw you off when I... When we You've try done to... it
0: before. I let you throw me off. That's a peculiar thing.
2: It's when you look up in the left corner... Where you thinking, where did Why my do thought... I look to the... Why is it to the left,
1: Isn't there a the thing way?
3: where, like, you're accessing the creative part of your brain? Is that what it is? Weren't you giving us an introduction? I was about to say something. Stunning. Look at
0: what Mark Spence did. Do you remember what you were going to say? You're a bad person, Mark. You've always Don't got, got something... Your nose. Yes, Stunning. I do. Okay, so, delightfully surprised. And this was about you, too, Mark. Delightfully surprised. Mark and I just went to a conference together. And Mark very foolishly pulled off the parking thing that was on his mirror and ripped it off. So the hook went... Was gone, so you couldn't put it up again. I go, Oh man, what are we gonna do? You gotta put it. He opens the compartment there the, uh, where your armrest is, and he actually pulls out a roll of tape. tape.
2: Scotch tape. Doesn't everybody have scotch tape in the? car? That was
0: like a MacGyver moment. You know, <laughs> he just, I couldn't believe you actually had tape. I thought we're done. I have
2: a hammer
1: in mine.
0: Okay, so that's what I was gonna talk about, Ray. It's because of you, we have a hammer and fire extinguisher in our car. You have a hammer in your car? So explain. Yeah. It.
1: So if you get rear ended, often it'll set your motor on fire and your car starts to burn. And then you can't open your doors because it's been impacted. It's and because you've hit the car in front of you and people are burned to death because they couldn't smash their way out of the windows. So if you've got one hammer, you can just get out real quick. My wife got me this like MacGyver style pin. And it's, so you can write with
3: it, but on the backside, it's got this like metal point that is a window breaker oh she, yeah the you're shatter
0: the to, glass. Like, shatter the glass yeah ray didn't you also get us something where you cut the seat belt that cuts the seat
1: belt oh, because if you have to get a seat belt you can't cut it with scissors <laughs> yeah so it's paranoia but yeah i just saw a video of a, a police officer jumping on a hood and trying to smash a window because a lady was burning to death in a car and he kept hitting it with his arm and he yeah. finally got through and she was just about cooked and i thought man that could happen to anyone so i don't want it to happen to my family I travel
3: with EMT in my back seat. Am I the only one that travels with a parachute? Because if you ever drive off a cliff, you would need to survive, and a parachute would help you. I tow another
0: car behind my car in case my car breaks down. Always one step ahead.
1: Speaking of that, I just read recently where uh, the Minister of uh, Health in England released a book saying that when he visited the Queen years ago, he said to a friend when they came out, he mentioned how he enjoyed the cheese and the unusual duck biscuits, and the other guy with him said they were the Queen's dogs' biscuits. Imagine being the
0: Queen. What's up with, like, dignitaries' dogs? It's it's made, uh, like, a big deal out of uh, the President's dogs, the Queen's dogs. You know what it dogs. does? It
1: makes them human. You just think, oh, he's not up there. He's, he's one yeah, of us. Yeah, but
0: human, they've got caretakers for their dogs. That's not human. They've got people 24-hour. They
1: probably hate the dogs, but it's good for publicity.
0: I've always been intrigued by that. Like, they make such a big
2: deal out of... You know, people's dogs. Mark, you have a dog. I do have a dog. I have a beautiful dog. Uh, I mean, I'm not a dog person. His name is Rusty. He's a Visla. He's a Hungarian uh, dog. He loves to uh, hunt. So we have this duck that we hide throughout the house. And somebody, I mean, he's, his smeller, his sniffer is so amazing. We hide him in different compartment stuff, and he comes over to it, and he lifts up a leg when he finds it, and he points to Seriously? where it's at. Oh, I always wondered it. if that was something that was taught, or they did naturally.
1: My dog lifts up his leg all the time. <laughs> like he
2: points, right? They call yeah, him... He point. Yeah, he points. Yeah, he gets excited. He lifts up an, an arm. It's Ray, so your dog... Great.
0: What does Ken Ham call your dog?
2: A mutant? I, something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, got a
1: Ray's, Ray's got a dog. What yeah, we've dog done that before, But what kind is that? But but it's it's is a, a Bichon Friget
0: cross. Like I think he like got poodle. Yeah, he, that dog's definitely got poodle. What's this have to do with uh, salvation and losing your salvation friends? Nothing. But that's what we're talking about today. Guys, when I got saved... You got saved? <laughs> when did I this happen? I think I got saved. <laughs> I, thought, yeah.
2: I thought Ray put you as an anchor here to get it you could saved. could be. Look,
0: we, we have known, speaking of salvation, I have known pastors that were not saved. Todd Friel was in seminary, wasn't saved. I had a good friend who met with me, said, you know, he was going to start a church. It was going to be built on finance, friendship, fitness, (laughs) some other stuff. And then I gave him Hell's Best Kept Secret, and he realized he wasn't saved. But to be saved, to know you're saved, and to know that you cannot become unsaved. That's the question we're dealing with today. There are people who frantically worry about losing their salvation we've all dealt with it we've all talked to them and this is something that i think can be radically destructive to a person's walk with the lord on the flip side you have people who boast in their salvation while they're living in open flagrant sin and they have this thought of hey i got saved i'm good to go so i want us to talk about what scripture says about that and explore that because it's something that i think is super crucial And I think the world is watching and it can have ramifications. What was that, Mark?
2: Boy, there's so much to say on the subject. I don't even know where to begin. I I hesitated because I'm thinking, am I jumping too early the gun? Listen, if you can lose your salvation, somebody once said, you would have already. And if you can lose your salvation, well, what must you do to keep it? What must you do to keep it? Did you read enough? Did you share enough? What are you doing? Where is this litmus test found on where you are doing enough to keep your salvation? Ray, I like what you say. And what is it that you have say? No idea. I have mean, lot. tell me. Well,
0: let me introduce that because I don't know. I really detest this saying because it's one of those things that's become so cliche and is so, it's really loaded. And you always have to define your terms. But I've always struggled with when people say, once saved, always saved. I believe in once saved, always saved. Okay, now, again, before anyone comes to any conclusions who is listening, I'm talking about the ramifications associated with this kind of glib sort of adage that's just thrown out. Once saved, always saved. Well, let me just ask you this, guys. What does that conjure in your mind? Oscar, when you hear that, once saved, always saved, bro. I think nutcase. <laughs> you just have to throw bro in there, huh,
3: brother? Yeah, you come up with a really good point, and I think... Any, you know, a collection of words can mean different things depending on the context and who's saying them. And one sense, which you just alluded to earlier in opening the podcast, it brings an incredible amount of comfort. Those who are striving and working out their salvation to know that once they are saved, once God begins a good work in them, he is faithful to carry it out. So in that context, it's a source of comfort to the Christian who's working out their salvation through fear and trembling. On the other hand, to someone who might look a bit more like an antinomian. An antinomian would be the individual who thinks that that their behavior is not important as it pertains to their walk with their Lord. They think that grace makes them be able to do whatever they want to be able to do with their lives. A license for sin. And so that person, that once saved, always saved, they treat God's, the blood of Christ, the work of the cross as this like one and done thing that happens at the beginning of their lives almost like the traditional understanding of a vaccine. Like, I just need this thing, and then I'm safe, I'm good, I'm going to live the rest of my life not thinking about it, not worrying about it, not pursuing anything. And so once saved, always saved becomes a license to live an unrighteous life. And, And to those individuals, I would say that salvation is not like this one and done thing. It's not like this, here's your license, now go off and go do whatever you want. Rather, salvation is this entering into a permanent relationship that completely and utterly transforms your life. It's not like you show up on your wedding day okay, I'm married, I'm out of here. And then you never go home to your wife and you live whatever kind of life that you live with prostitutes and other women. No, once you get married, you move in together. Your life is transformed. Even the way that you you interact with other friendships, everything utterly changes because of this new covenantal relationship that you have. And that's similar to our relationship with God when saved.
0: Ray, do you think that what happens these days? Cause we get reaction on this, right? We get people that email us, that post stuff on our YouTube channel. You guys believe in once saved, always saved. You know, it's just, do you think that what it is, is it's a, a caricature of a doctrine that is biblically rooted? Cause I like the term eternal security. That's what I like to yes. use. And I think that's more of a theological and biblical term. But you, Mark alluded to it earlier. You have a saying. It's not once saved, always saved.
1: It's if saved, always saved. If God has saved you, God will keep you. He's able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Explain that if, though. I've often said there's a dearth of understanding of true and false conversion. Once you understand that, then all the scripture's about losing your salvation and don't look back and pig goes back to the wallowing in the mire. A dog goes back to its vomit. All those are references to false converts, yeah. not genuine converts. So once you understand this true and false conversion, then Scripture makes sense. You don't have to run around saying, am I saved today? Am I unsaved tomorrow? Mm-hmm. If you've been saved, if God's begun a good work in you, he will complete it to that day. And that gives incredible assurance yeah. for the Christian. But yeah, there's, uh, antinomianism is um, very prevalent nowadays, that is living in lawlessness, yeah. total disregard for God's law, thinking they made a decision at the age of seven and that's sweet.
3: Hey listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck.
2: It's important to uh, define what a Christian is. A Christian is a new creation, uh, one who's been born from above, right? If any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. A Christian is someone who's been justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. You Remember the text that says, um, you know, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. If he's going to say that, I never knew you, but at one point he actually knew you. Does God have amnesia in knowing you at one moment, at one point inside your walk, but now doesn't? Consider that for a moment, right? We don't typically use a scripture like that, but depart from me, worker of iniquity, I never knew you. You can't say, well, you know, on from April 13th, 1999 to 2006, I knew you, but then you fell away. See, God is omnipotent. He is all powerful and he's able to complete the work which he started. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He will finish the work that he started inside of the life of his There are some that might
3: say, you know, the the idea of once saved, always saved sounds Calvinistic and distinct to one form. Of theological view i would encourage in that this predates john calvin and the reformation augustine in the 350s talked about the perseverance of the saints jehovian also did so in the early 400s there are a collection of theological truths that we can all agree upon that leads to this idea of perseverance justified by faith the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you are saved, that the Holy Spirit indwells with you. It's this promised seal. It doesn't become unpromised, right? If someone quote unquote walks away from the faith. And that's one of the challenges too, is that we use certain terminology to describe someone walking away from the faith. And so it sounds confusing. I use that language often. We've used that language together. That doesn't mean we think that they were once saved and now they are no longer saved. It's just a way of describing false conversion.
0: You know, I think on that note, and there's so many verses I want us to get into, but just since you mentioned that Oscar, I think First John 2.19 is a good one in that regard. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And I think that's one of the most revealing scriptures in that regard, you know, those, not, not that a Christian again can't struggle or, or have, you know, a lapse in terms of, of battling, but a true regenerate born again believer who's been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise will return and it will be manifest that they were really of us. But those that, you know, that go off and blaspheme God and and deny him, it's evident that they were never really born again. And you said First John 2, 19, verse 20
3: starts with, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. So it follows right up with like, here are those who were never among us but you have this seal of the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah. Ray, this really does tie into false conversion. And that's been something that you have talked about since I before I even knew you, and you continue to talk about it. W- what is the danger of that today? And how is it that it's become such a big thing? Like so many people, yeah, I'm saved. I, oh yeah, I'm great. I'm
2: I love God. I'm where's this coming from? Well, even more than that, right, Ray, that you talk about and said your message true and false conversion. You know, to be weary of the person, they, they have their whole car covered with bumper stickers, right? And they have crosses the size of the actual cross that Jesus died on around their neck, right? I mean, they, they tend to stand out to... Yeah, because they themselves.
1: lack fruit. So what they think they can do is impress with branches and leaves. They, they lack inwardly. And so they try to impress outwardly, and and we've got to be cautious. I think you've got to mark those that cause division and watch what comes out of people's mouths, and and that's how you tell someone's a false convert, by how they react and if they live in holiness, and have they got the fruits that accompany salvation. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance, the fruit of the Spirit. You've got fruit of repentance. Zacchaeus said, Behold, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. A fruit of righteousness. When you become a Christian, you love righteousness, you thirst after righteousness. When I got saved, everything sinful became abhorrent to me. Even though I still had a love for sin, I hated abortion with an absolute passion once I knew what it was about. I hated theft. I think theft is just such a wicked thing, and uh, everything that God says is wrong, I absolutely hated. So when you become a Christian, you have the fruit of righteousness, a thirst for righteousness that should be evident. You've got the fruit of praise and the fruit of thanksgiving. And praise for God should be on your lips. It should come naturally. You should have a humble heart. The humble shall hear and be glad. If you've got a humble heart, you know what you are in truth, when you you just want to give praise to God. When you see the sunrise, you want to raise your hands. And I never forget, and this is like a little miracle that I got as a new Christian. Did you guys have little incredible things happen when you're new Christians? It's like God says, There's a baby, I'm gonna prop him up just a little bit. He's gonna fall over the land. He's gonna make him walk on his own two feet after this. But when you're brand new, God does incredible things that you remember. And I remember I was probably a Christian two days, maybe one day, came out of my house, into my car, drove down the street, and I drove up onto the car park to look at the surf like it was used to. And at that second, I saw the sun begin to rise. It was just beautiful colors. And I just said, thank you, Lord, for color. And I'm not exaggerating. That color went and went back. It was just like I screamed out Wow, and it was as though God took the blinder off my eyes just for a second—the the blinding of the fallen creation—and let me see what we're going to see in glory. And I've never forgotten that second. And so uh, God opens the eyes, of the understanding, and it was so powerful; it's even made me forget what I was talking about.
0: You know, Ray, I started to tear up as you were talking about that—that that what happens when you're regenerated, because we can all identify because it's happened to us. And talk about miracles, right? Like people are always looking for some kind of physical miracle of some sort, the miracle of regeneration. Like what you said, how how do your desires instantly change? You know, I went from being so absorbed in sin to literally hating it. And as a new believer, I wanted nothing to do with it. Of course, you know, temptations resurface and, and we have those struggles, but I no longer wanted it. Even when I'm I'm tempted, there is that inward man, right? The battle between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians talks about that. And suddenly this new, I never even thought of the Bible. I, I tried to read it when I was a kid. It bored me to death. I I couldn't get past the first page, you know? But then I just, I remember just especially reading the Proverbs, I was like,
1: whoa,
0: I was devouring them. I wanted to to glorify God, I wanted to love people, I wanted to, you know what I mean? It's like- Uh, You're reminding me, sharing those kinds of stories that when I first got saved, you know, I
3: I love music. There was a few bands that I would listen to whose lead singers were outright atheist, uh, which was one of the reasons why I was drawn to these bands because I, I, pre-salvation resonated with what they were singing. But I was having a conversation. I had stopped listening for a little bit, unintentionally, just for whatever reason. And uh, I remember in my head thinking to myself, you know what? There's such great drum work and there's such great guitar pieces that I can still listen to this stuff. And I remember trying to play it one day and uh, listening to the lyrics. I was just like, I can't do this. Because to me, it was like, if somebody wrote a song that was just speaking so poorly about someone like my mom, I wouldn't be like, how dare they? But man, they're great drummers. You know what I mean? And so in that same way, it was like, I'm listening to this song about my Lord and Savior, the God man that died for me. I can't do it. I just can't listen to it anymore. And it was, those were one of those things that was like a switch to me. I just I couldn't do it.
0: That happened to me too. I mean, you guys know music was my life. I was a rap artist. I used to steal tapes. We had cassette tapes back then. Remember Music Plus, guys?
1: Oh, yeah. They went bankrupt because people kept stealing <laughs> tapes. They kept stealing tapes.
0: Yeah, but Music Plus, I'd go, or my friends would go, we'd steal them. And, you know, we would dub them. And they had those, remember those stereos they had where you had like two oh, tapes yeah. and you could record? Yeah, so I would record and we'd do that. And But, I mean, I had so many tapes. And then I, I think I just started, CDs were just coming in. This was 90, 91. And I threw everything away. I just, I was done with it. I mean, I walked away from my rap career, which I remember after people heard that, they're like, what were you thinking? I mean, remember my producers were, produced some of the top artists in the industry. I was, I was on my way, but I was like, no, I, I can't. And the point was, again, we're not talking, you can never listen to secular music. The point is, it was the stuff I listened to that was so foul And the stuff I would rap about that was so foul. And I knew I couldn't be one person on stage, another off stage. And this is what I'm talking about, like the power of regeneration. Who would walk away from something like that? You know, that's the dream of every kid. But... It was the dream of Ray Comfort as a kid to be a rapper, right? Oh, I would love to see Ray trying to bust a rhyme. But, you know, I was just saying like, you know, when the Lord changes you, and that's the whole thing of regeneration, when he changes you, he changes your desires. Like Paul said, they became rubbish to me. It was nothing compared to the Lord.
3: I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about looking at it from from a way in which this theological truth could bring a Christian comfort. Yeah. Because there's a lot of Christians, and I'm sure we've discipled some of them, we've received emails from others who seem to be working out their salvation through fear and trembling, who show fruits, but still have a type of anxiousness over, am I really saved? Because sometimes I sin. And I think verses like Hebrews 10, 26 becomes somewhat misunderstood to the Christian because it is speaking to the non-believer, to the false convert, which we've already discussed, but to the Christian, here's what it says. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. And that word deliberately is key. The original word is hekosis. I'm probably saying that wrong, but I'm gonna pretend like I said it right. Halitosis. And I think a key to understanding what that word intends to mean is to see how Peter uses it in 1 Peter. And here's what he says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, which is hekosis, as God would have you. And so here's the point that I want to make to the Christian that deliberately, there's two different kinds of deliberate. There's the deliberate that happens by nature. Okay. So think about first Peter here. He's telling them, don't teach the flock because you have to, but grudgingly do it willingly, wholeheartedly, with desire. And in that same way, if you look back at Hebrews 10 to be able to understand what he means by that, then it makes a little bit more sense. For if we go on sinning deliberately, wholeheartedly, joyfully, with desire, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The point that he's making is that, look, we are all sinners until the day we die. We all sin compulsively, but it's the person who sins willfully, joyfully, that takes pride in their sin, that it brings, quote unquote, joy into their lives. That is what the author of Hebrews is warning against. If you're the kind of person where your sin, you
0: love it, man, you should be concerned for your salvation. And I think that's the key. You know, sometimes people get the sense of that eternal security gives this sort of a sense of, hey, I could do whatever I want, like we talked about earlier. But there should be no sense of security for anyone living in sin, because the real point at hand is you may not be born again. You may not truly be saved. And that's what what should really concern you. You know, in other passages sometimes often quoted and, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Oscar, because there are people that will come across certain verses. What about this? You know, of course Hebrews 6, 4 through six is another big one. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good works of God and the power of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And I think it's important to understand, again, backdrop and background to certain books and certain things. Hebrews is one of those books in which the author alternates between talking to believers and unbelievers. And I think uh, uh, John MacArthur put it well. The question was posed, does Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 teach that a true believer can lose his salvation? He says, no. In that passage, a writer of Hebrews is speaking to the unsaved who have heard the truth and acknowledged it, but who have hesitated to embrace Christ. The Holy Spirit warns them, you had better come to Christ now, for if you fall away, it will be impossible for you to come again to the point of repentance. They were at the best point for repentance, full knowledge, to fall back from that would be fatal.
1: Do you think that speaking of a reprobate mind, being given over to a reprobate I mind?
0: It- yeah, that could be indicative of that, where you've come to that point where you've come to that place of enlightenment to truth, and you, you turn And reject it, you know, and that could be at that point in which God gives you over. But I love this quote by Louis Burkhoff. Perseverance may be defined as that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer, by which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. It is because God never forsakes his work that believers continue to stand to the very end. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if it was Mark who said that earlier, that God finishes, you know, what he begins and, and completes it.
2: You know, for a Christian to lose his salvation, God would have to go back on his word and undeclare what he had previously declared, right? Those absolved of guilt would have to be tried again and found guilty. We don't do that in a court of law here. You know, once you've been tried, that's it. No more cipher. What is that called in the court of law? To be uh, tried Uh, twice? Double jeopardy. Double jeopardy. We should feel convicted by our sin. You will be corrected for your sin but you'll never be condemned because of your sin. Because Jesus was condemned in our place, right? He was punished so that we would never be punished. Yeah. He was condemned in that way so that we can be set free. And he who the Son is set free is literally free. Indeed. And is able to save to the uttermost them that come to God by him. The guttermost, Billy Graham once said. I've heard that, John Piper
3: talk about the fact that he often asks people, how do you know you will wake up a Christian tomorrow. And he says their answers vary widely, but one of the most common is something like, I don't know, because, because being a Christian is like breathing. And he argues that the best answer to that is, how will I know a Christian? I'll be a Christian when I wake up tomorrow? Because He is faithful, because God is faithful. John Piper, which reminds me of this Charles Spurgeon quote, if our religion be of our own getting or making, it will perish. And the sooner it goes, the better. But if our religion is a matter of God's giving, we know that he shall never take back what he gives. And that, if he has commenced to work in us by his grace, he will never leave it unfinished.
1: Well, you have provoked a thought in me, if I can make, have you finished rambling? I am now rambling. When I used to surf, the joy of surfing is getting covered by a wave. You pull down, you pull up and you go into a tube.
0: I thought you meant getting having a wave crash. That was
1: so good, I didn't even used to get wet. I used to come and dry. You drop down the bottom of the wave, you stall, pull up, and the lip comes over you, and you cannot express the feeling you get when that happens. You see guys come out from the pipeline in in Hawaii, and they collapse at the knees, and their hands go up, and it's just the adrenaline rush is just awesome. That's what you surf for, and that's why you risk getting eaten by a shark. I would have called it, I used to travel miles to drag my feet into cold water a shark bait to get that feeling but the night I got saved I got that same feeling that joy unspeakable and I didn't have to go out and surf and chase it I was terrified the night I went to sleep that it would be gone in the morning that's what you talked about. How would you know? Oh, right. I thought, oh, it's going to be gone. And I'm like, oh, don't let it be gone. I woke up and i still there. And it's 48, 50 years, still there. And it comes just through simply believing, joy and peace and believing, trusting God. Boy, the peace I had after the night after I
0: got saved, or the morning after I got saved, when I woke up, that distinct indescribable peace,
1: that feeling of feeling clean. It was just so precious like it was it's the peace that passes all understanding and then the joy is unspeakable we've got nothing to say as christians we can't understand our peace and we can't describe our joy
0: it's just amazing and you, you mentioned piper he said this i think this is good too and i want to mention i want to go to some scripture but he said uh the assurance of the believer is not that god will save him even if he stops believing but that god will keep him believing God will sustain you in faith. He will make your hope firm and stable to the end. He will cause you to persevere. And this is where we remember that God is the author of salvation. And I really grieve for those who really view salvation as something of their own doing. First of all, you can't really be saved with that mindset. But then there are believers, I think, that though they may not have that full perspective, I think because they were brought up with performance-based acceptance, they still feel like they've got to somehow maintain, you know. But let's remember what scripture says. This is John 10, 27 to 30. Mm. My sheep (laughs) here. Ray, tell people why Ray does that, Oscar. For those who don't know,
3: anytime we bring up a verse, Ray will go mmm because it makes it sound like he knows the exact. I know verse. everything.
1: I know everything. I'm Jack Jack Van on steroids. That's what I am.
0: John ten twenty seven to thirty. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and listen. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand I and my father are one i mean he like doubles it up no one will snatch them out of my hand and not even my father's hand I give them eternal life. They will never perish.
1: Guys, you ever think about the maybe Google Earth shots? They used to do them years ago, and they were very impressive. You'd see a little, maybe a little bug on the ground, and then the camera would pull back up and the, through the clouds and into the sky and into the universe, keep going back. And then you realize how small you are on this earth with seven or eight You're billion small. people. Yeah, I know I'm small. Ken Ham keeps telling me that. <laughs> but do you ever think that God how could God think on me? You know, Ray Comfort, just yeah. 5 foot 11, just an ordinary,
0: <laughs> the lying Ray Comfort. Yes. 5
1: foot 6. 5 Ray, 5 foot 5. Ah. How could God think on such a little nobody as me? And it's incredible to think that he does because he made the very eyeballs that I look with. Yeah. He made the brain I think with every hair of my head is numbered because he created it. And then he proved his love and what an incredible joy we have in Christ. Yeah. It's amazing
3: that God gives us these relationships, these experiences that are meant to be signposts that speak to his love for us. Because, you know, we go from being rebellious sinners, deserving damnation to redeemed. But often when we talk about the cross and we talk about uh, the gospel as we proclaim it, We tend to make it sound transactional and it helps the listener understand God's righteous judgment and the substitutionary atonement on the cross, but that's legal transaction. We've talked about this before. There's also this deeply important relational change in which we become adopted sons and daughters of a God who loves us, of a father in heaven. And so I bring that up to say, like, I think about my kids and like, I love my kids And they're sinners without a doubt. But there is nothing that they could ever do that would stop me from loving them, from praying for them, from caring about them, from being there for them. They are my children, and they will never not be my children. And that is a signpost of the love that God has for us. We are saved his children and now we will never not be his children
1: you know bible speaks of a couple of false converts i think hymenaeus and another guy in the book of Timothy, I think it is. And then it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them or those that are his. Yeah. And often people say, you know, there's just such confusion, especially Roman Catholics. They'll say how many denominations they are. And they say, we're the true church because you guys are a mess. You all think you're right. Yeah. And they don't realize that God knows those that love him. Yeah. He doesn't come through the door of the church to look on the believer. He comes straight to the heart. That's very consoling.
0: Ray, I love the fact that you highlighted the truth that God knows us individually. If we don't exist on accident. He fashioned and formed us and made us. We say this. It's weird because my mom always said I was an accident. But think about she it did? But think about it though. As far as we know, right, there's no two identical set of fingerprints, even in identical twins.
1: I've been looking for ages.
0: <laughs> I could see you trying, right? But you know what I'm saying? Like even identical twins who have the identical DNA, even their fingerprints are are different. And you think about that, you know, the, the distinct creativity of God. And that, again, speaks to his special love that God knows us. He made us and then he redeemed us, not in a sort of a general sense, but he purchased us with his blood. And Mark, I'd love you to touch on, on this verse Either here. Even
1: dog's paw prints are different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Isn't that crazy? That just to think of the distinctions, you know? Uh, John 6, 38 through to 40, for I have... Come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day.
1: This is John 6 you're yeah. about.
0: John 6, 38, 38 through 40. What
1: a portion of scripture that is, John 6. Yeah. Jesus just went on and on, incredible truths.
2: Yeah, that that John 629, this is the will of God or this is the work of God. It's like, well, what must I do? Believe on him. And that word belief, as we talk about in John 3.16 with inside the Amplified Version, I, I love the way it's laid out that whoever believes in Him places their trust in, clings to, and relies upon right the way you would a parachute. We talk about this in evangelism. If you're going to jump 10,000 feet out of a plane, you're going to make sure that parachute is secure. And Scripture encourages us to examine ourselves to see if we are inside the faith. Ray laid out the different fruits, right? the fruit of repentance. Thomas Watson said that when you repent, your repentance should flow like a river that anything and everything that is there. You're not hiding anything. It's just, you're getting everything out. It's all being open and bare and naked before Him to whom we must give an account. So it's not about all the work and the attainings that we can do, but it's the work of God inside of us. We talk about perseverance of the saints, but we should be calling it perseverance of God in the saints. It's the work of God that he has done inside of us, and he will be faithful. Yeah, fulfilled. and guys,
0: it always comes back to scripture, right? Because so many of the things that Christians will hold on to are based on the whims of their feelings, mm. their emotions. This is, this. I don't feel God loves me. I don't feel like he really is keeping me. But I like what Burke Parson said. He said, our perseverance is a gift from God. In our salvation, God blesses us with assurance through his gift of perseverance. However, many Christians lack full assurance of their salvation because their understanding of assurance is founded on the constantly changing emotions of their hearts rather than on the eternal word of God. That's good. You know,
3: you, you mentioned sort of assessing ourselves, testing ourselves, not only that, but God in, it saves us away from anonymity and into community. And it's the unity of, of the community of the church that he intends to affirm us in our faith. And I mean, I mean, Being a member of a church, not just like show up on Sunday for an hour and a half and leave with your notes. I mean, being known and loved, uh, being truly a part of a local church, because in and through that kind of relational community, can your salvation be affirmed? Can you be challenged to repentance when it comes to sin? Like you really don't know the work that God is or is not doing in you until you're a part of
2: a local church. You know, and speaking of that, i you ever come across somebody and go, hey, where do you go to church? I, I go to your church. Oh, well, how long have you been going there? For 15 <laughs> years? They should show the back of their head to you. Then you better recognize <laughs> it. <laughs> and then you'd recognize it. I have a friend that says, oh, I'm sorry, where do you serve at the church? I haven't seen it. It's convicting, right? Because we should be serving at our local church. Easy, you brought this to my attention several years ago when I started to attend Kindred. It's like, Mark, you know, you have a gifting. You can't leave that gifting just at work we need to bring that gifting on into the local church and then we started yeah it
0: it is crucial and there are so many christians that lack spiritual health because they're not under the god-ordained extension of his ministry to them which is a local church i mean god he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and it's not just also us receiving but it's also the growth that comes from giving of, of using our gifts, like you mentioned, Mark, you know, to, to be a blessing to the body. You
3: cannot be challenged to repentance. You cannot confess sins. You cannot grow in sanctification truly in the way that God intends by simply going online and watching YouTube videos by scouring Twitter for great quotes, by reading excellent books, much to my unfortunate demise.
1: Well, getting God's promises, getting God's promises on your phone each day.
3: (laughs) The
0: way in which those things are intended to happen for us is through the local church. So yeah, so it goes back again to the Lord and his work. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved, in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, were kept by God. What were you doing, right? Were you mouthing? No, was just, I was just—I
1: was mouthing because I love that portion of Scripture. I've memorized that portion of Scripture, and I was thinking how far back you went to make your point. And I was thought, why didn't he start it? in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth, and you went right through it. <laughs>
0: Don't challenge
3: me. I will from now on. Be careful, right?
1: And you know,
0: again, one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, Romans eight thirty-eight to twenty-nine. So, what's wrong with the other ones? This stands out.
2: Are you going to start at Genesis 1? For I am
0: persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I Lord. Actually,
3: I'm right now reading every morning. Romans 8 is my chapter every morning. Is the first place I start Romans 8. But the thing is, you can't understand Romans 8 unless you start at Genesis one
0: one Again, the power of God to keep us, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And I think another verse that people miss, I mean, we mentioned Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work and he will be faithful to complete it. Some will say, oh, well, that refers to the, the gift that they were gonna give. No, I, I believe it's referring to their salvation. It's, to me, it's clear from the context of the book too. But Hebrews 10.14 is often overlooked for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified." And that's what we miss out on, you know, the process of sanctification that, that happens. And so sometimes Christians stumble and struggle. And for those of you listening who have a sense of discouragement because you find yourselves at times stumbling or not at where you desire to be, listen, if you're truly born again, he has perfected you by the gift of salvation. And now he's sanctifying you. So take courage. It's usually those that aren't worried about their salvation that I'm worried about when they struggle. But the one who tri- typically is is, is, is usually genuinely saved because they want to please the Lord and they see their weaknesses. Uh, but take heart that God is at work in you. Is this you. a
1: conclusion or can, uh, uh, can we butt in or no, something? No, no,
0: butt in, right?
1: Yeah, sometimes there are some Christians with a tender conscience and that tender conscience can condemn them. I remember I picked up Leonard Ravenhill. I knew his book called Why Revival Tarries. In the first chapter, he says, if you're an evangelist and you can't pray for two hours a day, you're, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I couldn't read it. I couldn't read his book because I felt so tender in my conscience. Yeah. I'm not doing that. So you just got to realize it's, it's not it's not works-based. It's, it's we, we flow from gratitude and love, and God does the saving.
2: Wow. wow. Ray, did I hear you correctly? You're five, five. Well, I
1: was last time, but I'm shrinking. You know, when you get to my age, you move from a grape. You don't want to measure at that when point. You get to, when you get to my age, you move from a grape to a raisin in a matter of years. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to one-up that, Yeah, didn't of you?
0: course, of course. You can't think of anything else, so I'm good there. But what a joy, you know, to have security in Christ. Spurgeon said, if I did not believe the doctrine of the final perseverance of the saints, I think I should be of all men the most miserable because I should lack any ground for comfort. And so let's remember our hope is in Christ, that he is the seal of our salvation. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So remember that friends. And thank you for those who have been commenting on the podcast. I want to read one here. This is from SD and Smith. I love this podcast. I found it a few weeks ago, and I've been drinking from a fire hose since then. Seems like just about every day I tell my wife something else from one of y'all's episodes. Just so much amazing inspiration and encouragement. And honestly, I can tell how much you guys really enjoy being around each other. Well done, and keep up the work. Easy is the best.
1: There was from Smith. Read the one from Brown.
0: What an encouragement. So, friends.
2: And then Johnson.
0: Johnson. So, friends, thank you so much. Remember to give us a rating uh, on the podcast and to leave a comment. We really do get encouraged. And remember to check out the Evidence Bible to go deeper in the word and to be built up. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast. (gasps) How dare you, Mark? That was my line. Chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway that is the Living
1: Waters podcast.
0: We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California, Yvonne from Crestline. California, Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina, Andrea from Anderson, Indiana, Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, Lowell from Yakima, Washington, Don from Charleston, Illinois, John from Ford, Australia, good on you, Mike and Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.